Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have our friend of the podcast, Dick Foth, back for another session of Back Channel with Foth. And then we're going to jump into an interview with Tim Elmore on a, a new kind of diversity. Dick, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Aaron. Here, here we go in the fall. Here we go know? in the fall. Hard to believe, um, but but here we are. Here we are. Dick, um, I got two questions for you. Um you mentioned that when we are small, everyone is an artist. How can we regain that creative heart and spirit later in life? You know, if you if you ask a kindergarten class, how many of you how many of you are artists or a first grade class? Pretty much everybody raises his or her hand. By the time you get to sixth grade and you've had more structure and you're sitting in rows behind desks, even if you do the collaborative thing like they're doing today, and you ask that same question, not nearly as many will raise their hands. And by the time you get to be an adult, that's a huge challenge. There's a wonderful TED Talk, um, maybe the most viewed by Dr. Ken Robinson, hmm. is a, a, a British fellow now gone. And the title of it is, uh, Is Education Killing Creativity? Hmm. And he describes art in the, in the pantheon or the, or the spectrum of education around the world, that art or things that are consider, considered art are not the go-to places. You know, you get hmm. science, you have math, and so forth. And maybe it's because art is subjective uh, uh, as opposed to, you know, if you have math, you have an objective metric. And, but I think something that strikes me is that, is that uh, God is an artist first. In the beginning, God created, mm-hmm. right? And, and then his methodologies, i.e., let there be light, follow that. I have not considered myself an artist, a painting or, you know, I tried piano for a year and the teacher said, probably not. And (laughs) all of this, but I think there are some hints at how in our later years, Mm. we can maintain that artistry. And um, I find hope in the phrase, except you become as a little child. And now the context of that statement by Jesus is that the kingdom has to do with um, going to the lowest and the least and the overlooked and so forth. That's a context. But there's also this idea that childlikeness is something that's to be uh, um, embraced, Hmm. if you will. And there's a wonderful book by Dr. Stuart Brown called Play. And his thesis is that uh, necessity is not the mother of invention, but play is. Interesting. And, and, you, and you see this a lot of times. Companies are picking up on this. Um, I think it was Madame Guion. I could be wrong there. Could be, could be St. Teresa of Avila who said, the kingdom is about praying together and playing together. Hmm. And I think that um that that idea has to do with regaining the creative heart and spirit later in life how how childlike mm-hmm. is your spirit in terms of exploration 
in terms of appreciation, in terms of wonder. Wow. Dick, uh, before I hit record, we were talking about you had the opportunity to hang out with some leaders um, uh, just a few weeks back. How do you see this creativity come out in leadership and followership? That's the question. How have you seen this creativity that we're talking about come out in leadership and followership? You know, one of one of the hardest things to do is to have a brainstorming session with people because somebody will put an idea on the table and we say any any idea is good (laughs) (laughs) any idea is good but you can't get very far before someone in the group will start to edit the ideas that are on the table interesting if creativity is going to be in play, you cannot edit early. Hmm. You cannot. Um, because creativity starts with a center or a backdrop, not boundaries. Okay. And, you know, it's the, it's the different, it's the difference really between movements and institutions. Institutions sure. have to do with stability and boundaries. Movements have to do with the center from which everything radiates. And we, we hear this phrase commonly used, think outside the box. And the, and the question is why and, and why not, right? Yeah. I, it, it, creativity has to do with imagination. It's, it's mm-hmm. what, you know, my world, my world, whether I travel geographically or not, my world is the five and a half inches between my ears, mm-hmm. right? That's my whole world. And Einstein, Einstein's statue in front of the National Academy of Sciences on Constitution Avenue in D.C. is one of my favorite places to take people over the years. You climb up on Einstein's lap. It's a big bronze statue, so forth. And and the the uh, there's a phrase he uses. It, it isn't on that on that statue, but one of his lines is imagination is more important than knowledge because imagination has no limits. Wow. And and creativity is a culture. It's a culture in my brain. It's a culture in our organizations. And culture is built on what we affirm and mm. what we stigmatize. Mm. This is not my this is not my statement. This is my friend Ashcroft's statement. It, culture is built on what we affirm and what we stigmatize. So if we reward creativity, then people tend to get more creative. Sure. Uh, our friend, our mutual friend, Mark Batterson, there are two uh, in, in the congregation there in D.C., National Community Church, there are two guidelines or principles or first things that, that uh, are, I think they have four or five, but these two strike me. One is everything is an experiment. Hmm. And the second is the church needs to be the most creative place on the planet. Hmm. So when you talk about how have I seen it come out in leaders, I've seen it come out in leaders by with people who say, why not? Yeah. Or people who say, how? Yeah. Let's think long about this. That's a good word. Good word. Dick, always enjoy spending some time with you. Um, always gold. Always gold. We're going to go ahead and jump into our interview with Tim Elmore on his book, A New Kind of Diversity. Just a a fascinating conversation on discussing the different generations on a team and how we can work together from strength to strength. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. 
Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today with a new friend of the podcast, Tim Elmore. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Aaron. It's great to be with you today. It is an honor. I um, The first time I got to I've listened to your podcast, and then my son and I went through the Habitudes. Um, oh, yeah. We did a... Uh, uh, experience uh, coming into age experience. We went through the um, New River Gorge white rotter rafting, and we used the, oh. the, the habitudes in that process. And um, just got a, had an honor of learning from you this summer, and so excited to have you on the podcast with us today. Oh, thanks. That that I'm honored that you would do that. Um, we have so loved hearing stories about the images, the habitude yes. images. And how they've started conversations, which is exactly wow. what we want between parents and kids, teachers and students, coaches yeah. and athletes. So yeah. thanks for being part of that that party. Oh, it is great. And uh, help the father have some great conversations with his son. So we're, we're very, very thankful. Very, very thankful. Tim, would you go ahead and share just a little bit about yourself before we jump into our conversation today about a new kind of diversity? Yeah, Absolutely. So, um, my gosh, my career has been over 40 years long now, <clears throat> but right out of college, I was a teacher and I also went on staff with uh, Dr. John C. Maxwell. So some of the listeners might have heard John's name before. Well, I worked for him in my 20s and 30s and then 40s. Um, and of course, working for John, I got bit by the leadership bug. Uh, it's just viral there under his leadership. <laughs> But but I had this great love for students, for young people, for the next gen, hmm. in fact, all of my life. So my love of leadership and my love of young people kind of got married together. And I started Growing Leaders, this nonprofit, which is about developing emerging leaders, 20 years ago in 2003. Wow. And uh, it has been so fun to see, again, I don't, I don't think it was my strategic plan, but 2.8 million kids have gone through these habitudes wow. and learned life skills and leadership and emotional intelligence sure. um, in 72 countries, 2.8 million kids and wow. counting. So we're having a blast. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, today we're going to talk about your new book. Can you just share a little bit about your new book and um, yeah, just the inspiration behind writing it and getting it out there? Yeah, well... Like you probably, Aaron, I get around, and as I get around, I started seeing these um, little conflicts that would happen between old and young, okay? So the Xers and the Boomers would be the two older generations at work today. The Millennials and the Gen Zers would be the two younger generations. And while we all, we all may, <clears throat> excuse me, love each other, we sometimes collide instead of collaborate. Can sure. I say that here? For so, sure, for sure. Noticing this generation gap, which was... My gosh, that's a term that's been around for almost 60 years. But I thought, we I've got to help people build bridges to the other generations rather than walls. So I called the book A New Kind of Diversity because we talk about diversity all the time, don't we? Yeah. You know, ethnic and gender and income. But I think this new diversity is generational diversity. And it's like an elephant in the room. We mm -hmm. all know it's different. We're not quite sure how to talk about it. And we end up saying to each other, kids today, kids today, you know. <laughs> Instead of saying, that's the future, we need to connect with them and get them ready because they're going to be leading, ready or not, 20 years from now. So that was my my goal in the book. Yeah, and it is definitely something that um, I have seen and experienced. And as I get older, I'm on the different side of it. You know, when I first got yeah. into to missional work, I was on the younger side. We were in our early 20s and, you know, there was that we were on one side of the gap. Now I'm in I'm 46. I'm yeah. moving towards the other side of the gap and um, I'm trying to learn, learn and adapt um, to it. One of the things I valued you shared this summer was this idea that the, the, it's widening today. 
And um, it's making collaboration and synergy on the team more challenging than ever. Um, how could could you help us unpack that for the listeners yeah. and then how we can engage with that? Well, first of all, it might be heartening for listeners to hear that we older generations have been saying kids today since Socrates. <laughs> I mean, I mean, every century somebody is in fact, maybe many people are saying we don't think kids are going to make it. They're lazy slackers and they don't have a work <laughs> ethic and they, you know, they go home early. <clears throat> so we they said it about us, Aaron, and we're going to say it about the kids and then their kids are going to say it about their kids. <laughs> But um, here's my theory that I think has been proven true over and over and over empirically. Uh, The term generation gap came about when the boomers were young back in the 60s. But the gap has gotten wider because Mm. the screens in our lives Mm. have gone from public to private. Mm. So when I was a kid growing up, we had one screen in our house. It was a television, right? Yeah. And in my house, it was a black and white TV. We all gathered around the TV and watched, you know, I love Lucy or Mary Tyler Moore or whatever. And, you know, that was what we did together. We laughed together. We we talked about the script together afterwards, but it was together. Fast forward to today, we've all got this little screen in our hand now, a yeah. smart device. Yeah. And so we're in echo chambers, it, a, a, a teenagers with other teenagers. They have mm-hmm. never been wholly invested in each other and only in each other as today when they can stay in a silo uh, with the music and the dialogue and the Instagram posts. So anyway, I'm waxing eloquent now, but I think the gap's gotten bigger because we're now in our own little niche. And so in the book, I challenge people, we got to ditch the niche and we got to find, <laughs> find ourselves out. Every good missionary knows yeah. I'm going to cross-cultural uh, environment. So I got to study, bingo, study yeah. the customs of the next gen, study the values, study the language, just like we know to do as cross-cultural workers. Yeah. yeah. For sure. One of my moms, one of the one of the things she lamented was we ended up getting we had one central television like you did. And then we ended up getting televisions in our room. And she said that was the mm-hmm. biggest mistake she ever made was yeah. because then we all went to our rooms instead of sitting around the television, yes. working through that, picking out a show we would watch together. We yeah. went to our rooms yeah. and watch what we wanted to. So a, a different than a telephone, but a similar concept of, of yeah. going going different directions. Um Key questions. We we have leaders that are listening in, and honestly, we have followers that are listening into this podcast. So it's leaders and followers. So, yep. what are some some questions we need to ask um, so we can better close this generation gap? There is a bit of research that didn't make it into the first print run of this book, and so uh, depending on what you have, Aaron, let me share this. It might be very helpful in answer to that question. So I asked respondents in each of the five generations that I talked to, what do you want from other generations when you interact with them? What is it you want from them? Hmm. And um, even though I got a whole bunch of answers from the old and the young, there were three responses that came up every single time in every generation. Here they are. Number one was humility. Hmm. Young and old were saying, would you approach me with a spirit of humility? Meaning, I know I've got more to learn and it may be you. Hmm. Number two, respect. I think that's an old-fashioned word, but I think we need to recover it. Yeah. So instead of telling a young 22-year-old who's fresh on the mission field, you got to earn my respect, Sonny. You know, put in some hours. Put Do your time, you know. We need to say, I'm going to begin with belief, yeah. not with suspicion. Mm-hmm. And when we begin with belief, you know how they reciprocate. It's usually the same right back to you. True. So humility, respect. The third one was really intriguing to me, curiosity. 
Hmm. Me, when you approach me, would you be curious about what I might have to say or show or, you know, tell you? So imagine a workplace, mission field or otherwise, where all four or five generations are approaching each other with humility, respect, and oh my gosh. Hmm. So I really believe in the concept of reverse mentoring. Okay. Reverse mentoring. I think I mentioned this to you when I was with you all. This is such a great, great concept. So reverse mentoring is when an old person, let's say 50s or 60s maybe, or 40s, sits down with a 20-something and they swap stories. I just believe you always find something in common when you swap stories. Mm. But then you each are going to wear the mentor hat for part of that conversation. The old can clearly pour into the young and say, here's how to succeed in this industry, you know, or yeah. in what we're doing here on the mission field here. But then I think the young has so much to add on maybe how we would better market what we're doing with this new app that just came out. I don't know. I'm making this up. But yeah. our there is timeless insight that the oldest generation has, but timely intuition that the youngest generation has about what culture's going. Mm. So we need to combine timeless insight and timely intuition. Wow. And if we do that together, I think we got something God can use. Yeah. That's excellent. That's excellent. Discord in the sometimes when we have these different different generations, um, there can be some discord um yeah. in the in the workplace or in the mission field or working in teams. And what are some of the most common things that they create this discord um between generations that are trying to work together in the workplace or maybe on a team? Yeah, loads and loads of answers here. Let me just give you two or three and then we can sure. volley back and forth. One of them is um expectations. Okay. When a new candidate is interviewed, depending on not just where they were born, but when they were born, hmm. they might bring an audacity to the interview, maybe yeah. maybe come across a little overconfident with zero experience. You know, yeah. I want to be paid this and I want to get this and PTO here. And and you're going, holy moly, I would have never said that when I was 22. <laughs> you know, haven't you thought that before? And For it's sure. no disrespect to the young. It's just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, in fact, uh, I don't know if I shared this when I was with you, but uh, I talked to an HR person that had a young lady that she offered a job to and gave her the document. And this young lady said, thank you. But now my parents need to interview you Wow. to make sure you're a suitable boss for me. Wow. And of course, here's this intrusive parent, God love him, who's, you know, coming into the job interview and wanting to right. be an agent for her daughter. So sometimes expectations are different. And I would just say to every person that's hiring a new candidate, just get ready and brace yourself. Their their high sense of agency comes from a smartphone, hmm. but their high sense of anxiety and mental health issues may also come from the smartphone. So we're overwhelmed with information, but we also feel like I got this because, you know, I can look everything up on YouTube. Wow. So that would be one answer, expectations. Yeah. The other, I think, might be preferences. Okay. So an emerging generation, this is very predictable, might prefer to communicate through a text message mm -hmm. or even a direct message or IM. And of course, the boss may say, I want to talk face to face. I want to read your body language, son. You know, sure. that sort of thing. Sure. So I'm stereotyping here, but no. I think you need to just get it for expectation, communication preferences. Um, what is meaningful remuneration? So mm. a boomer might say, I want a new title and corner office or whatever. Right. And the young might go, give me some more ownership of this mm. or trust me more, you know, yeah. or or whatever. So I think we got to read them before we lead them. I say that all the time. It sounds cliche. Read your people before you lead your people. Know when and where they are. 
Yeah. Can I ask a question on that? Read them before you lead yeah. them. There's some sure. practices that you walk through when you're trying to read, read before you lead. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, well, first of all, let me jump into some of our images in sure. one chapter. I talk a little bit about the habitude images that you and I just talked about, Aaron, yeah. and that you do with your son. So listeners, in case you don't know what these are, it's totally fine. But habitudes, that's a combination of habit and attitude, are images that form leadership habits and attitudes. Mm. So I offer half a dozen of them in this book. One of them is chess and checkers. Okay. So what that basically teaches us is even though the games, chess and checkers, are played on the very same game board, yeah. they're very different games. Sure. When I play checkers, all my pieces look alike. They all move alike. So I treat them all alike. Yeah. In chess, if I have any hope of winning the game, that's <laughs> a bishop and a rook and a knight. So I think leaders need to play chess with their people, not checkers. Okay. I've got to know I've got a bishop in front of me or I've got a queen in front of me. Hmm. And they're not like me. Hmm. But that just they're bad. Some of the best growth happens when there's a bit of a rub with yeah. a personality or a, a a different person. So I would say, le- listeners, please play chess, not checkers, yeah. with each other in your relationships. Another one, Aaron, that I just love, it's not even published yet, except in this book, is um, Guard Dogs and Guide Dogs. Yeah. Um, so listeners, think about these two canines, okay? We've given canines lots of jobs over the years, have we not? <laughs> the guard dog's job is to protect right? They're in a pen and they're sniffing out trouble and barking at intruders, right? The guide dog's job is so different. Okay. In fact, if the guard dog's job is to protect, the guide dog's job is to partner. Hmm. So they're teamed up with someone that is seeing impaired, right? Yeah. Maybe can't yeah. see very well. They're going first. They're actually being a little bit more vulnerable because they're going first sure. and they're leading the way. I think people around us today are anxious about the world's condition. Hmm. And I think when we're anxious, our, our amygdala is kicking in sure. and we just do fight or flight. And we hold our cards close to our chest. We turn into protectors. We turned into, we leaders can turn into guard dogs. And hmm. I'm saying, leaders, if you're listening, we need to be guide dogs. Wow. Let's be vulnerable first. Let's be transparent. Yeah. Let's talk candidly. And if we're a little afraid today, you might even say, well, we need to pray. I'm a, I'm a little scared right now. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. In fact, I think it causes people to lean in and say, oh, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Mm. And now let's take a journey. It doesn't mean we're going to run from the task God's given us. It means yeah. we're going to help each other get through this. So I'll stop there. But those would be some images that I think are just helpful conversation starters because they're metaphors. Yeah. And they are. And I've, I think that's what I value a lot of your work is taking something that we can all visually see. We have all majority yeah. of us have had experience with both yeah, that yeah. gestures and check we've, we've had yeah, yeah. and with dogs and that's the value of it in such a great conversation starter. And um, I've, you know, I hosting a podcast, I read a lot of books, um, but your book and that your talk, I've, I've quoted you probably more since uh, June than probably anybody else. It is, <laughs> it had such an impact um, as I sat with patients sitting, you know, si- taking care of patients in the office this summer at my sister's practice, just conversations to engage. It really helped mm-hmm. me understand um, in different aspects of life, not just in missional work, um, teamwork, but even as I engage and care for patients, 
Oh yeah. Recognizing generationally there, there, there are differences and, and with younger, older people, my same generation, how we see things, um, what they would value, what they wouldn't value, um, in the process. Um, just, and like I said, I, I've quoted you probably more than anybody else in the last, in the last few months. So oh, we're I'm very honored. much appreciated. You Aaron, talk, can I, yes. can I toss out one more metaphor real quick? Yeah, that might, that, that'd be great. What you just said. One of our newer metaphors, and it's in the, the book, Habitudes for Life-Giving Leaders, it's called stethoscopes and treatments. Hmm. It's geared for leaders. But here's the point. Every patient knows when they go in to see the doctor or a nurse, for that matter, they're going to spend quite a bit of time, several minutes anyway, diagnosing. Yeah. Uh, let me see your ears. Let me see your mouth. Let me see your eyes. Let me listen to your heart. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. And then I have a prescription. I think sometimes we older leaders just bark out orders and before we do a prescription before we do a diagnosis. So mm-hmm. leaders, we gotta listen first, ask questions, listen, empathize. That's what listening to your heart means to us. Let yeah. me let me hear your heart. Now I'm going to be informed as I dialogue and maybe direct to you, mm-hmm. but it's going to feel like it's relevant because you took some time to hear me out. So maybe it's cliche, Aaron, but I think that one is one I need as I move through my 60s now. I've got to listen before I talk. Very true. You know, I was in a conference, a medical conference a few years back and a world-renowned doctor was sharing. And he said he was sharing that he had had all these one-star reviews and he couldn't, you know, he said, well, I'm, I've, I've been in this game long enough and I'm in work in the dermatology world. So he said, I would just, well, I walk in the room. I know what your problem is. I don't need to ask you any questions. I can yeah. see it. Yeah. I can write prescription and I leave the room. And he said, oh, I was getting all these one-star reviews and people just said, he said, he said, I was solving their problem. They didn't care that I solved the problem. They wanted engagement and they wanted this interaction. And so he goes through a long story about how he changed um, and had to change. And he said, my star, well, I went from one-star reviews to five-star reviews. And he said, people cared that I could solve the problem, but they wanted engagement with me and they wanted me to, to spend time with them and to hear them. And um, it was just fascinating. It's a longer story it, than, than that, but um, wow. just what you're talking about right here. It's brilliant, Aaron. It's brilliant. And I think that's an illustration of, as Christ followers, we believe we have the answer. Yeah. But that's not all that they want. <laughs> they want to know, you know me, you care about me now. Maybe yeah. the same answer, but <laughs> stop. And and I think about all the times that Jesus asked questions himself. Did he already know the answer? Of course he did. <laughs> but that wasn't the point. He pulled them in and then he shared. So anyway, yeah. we're, we're both preaching to the choir here, no. but I'm telling you. We've got to relearn it. It's super valuable and um, super, super valuable. What does it mean to be flexible without giving in? And how can leaders develop this maturity? And I love how maturity, because it takes a level of maturity uh, in this area. Yeah, this is probably the greatest challenge that leaders over 40 will have, because we've been around the block a few times. We know we need to adapt and adopt, you know, to, to new changing conditions. But we feel like, oh, we're compromising the gospel or we're compromising the principles that we built this thing on. Sure. So I would say there is a way to be flexible without giving in on your core. Hmm. So just to cut to the chase, I think we need to decide what is the core. What are the core values and core principles that we built this practice on or this ministry on? And those five, six things, don't you dare give in. Okay. But everything else, yeah, you might need to give in. Sometimes I think we're holding on to sacred cows just because we did it that way back in 1988 or 2001. Yeah. And it's not sacred. 
Yeah. In fact, I think Jesus is saying, let go, let go, you know, but we've somehow baptized that methodology. So it's a paradox, but here's what I would say. We need to learn to be stubborn and open-minded at the same time. Wow. Okay. I'm, stubborn I'm, I'm, about you, the, got me, you got me listening now. Okay. Okay. So um, stubborn about the core, but the core alone. And then okay. we need to work harder and harder as we age and the gap between them and us increases to be open-minded. So I did a book um, a couple of years ago called The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership. And this is one of them. Hmm. Uh, and my case study on this one was Truett Cathy, the okay. founder of Chick-fil-A. Dan Cathy, his son, said, my dad was the most stubborn man I've ever met and the most open-minded man I ever met. Hmm. So he had his core values closed on Sunday. It's my pleasure. You know, there's a few things yeah, sure. that we all know. You're going to get whatever restaurant you go into, Chick-fil-A, you're going to get this. But boy, at 92, he's learning. He's opening up a new restaurant. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, I want to be that when I'm 92. <laughs> so that's the challenge of that flexible without giving in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good. A good word. The other thing you share and share about is this idea of um, learning about different generations but and understanding them without stereotyping. And I think yeah. it, sometimes we can weaponize in a different thing, you know, whether it's a disc profile or a different profile, people say, well, this is just who you are. You're a C or you're a CS or you're a yes. D or whatever, yeah. whatever flavor you want to go with. But how do we navigate with generational differences without stereotyping and weaponizing that or just saying, hey, that's just my generation or or us yeah. judging other generations? Is that a is that a fair question? Oh, it's a great question. In fact, I think that's the number one dilemma, not only of this subject we're talking about, but all the uh, assessments and profiles. True. I'm just a, I'm just a D, so I'm going to bowl, bowl people over, or I'm I'm a seven on the Enneagram, so I'm just right. a party waiting to happen. Sure. Um, and we excuse misbehavior, dare I say that, or even <laughs> sin, because we go, oh, that's just who I am. Yeah. And we use explanations as excuses. Well, so yeah. here's what I would say to that. Um we we need to learn to understand without stereotyping. But my point in that is, if we look through the lens of our Heavenly Father, we're going to see the strengths of all five generations working today, rather than the stereotypes. So if we stereotype, you know what my definition, Aaron, of a stereotype is? A mental shortcut. Okay. I just took a shortcut mentally, because I didn't want to do any deep thinking so, yeah, all those builders or boomers are just dinosaurs, you know, or yeah. all those Xers like you did. They're, they're just all skeptical about everything, you know, or millennials are all narcissistic. They're all narcissistic. And haven't you heard this one? All those Gen Zers, fragile snowflakes. They're all fragile. <laughs> they're not going to make it on the mission field. Now, we need to now are some of those true. There are individuals within each of those generations that are that. Yeah. But what I fight to do is see the plus side. Hmm. So the builders bring sage wisdom and fierce hmm. loyalty. My mom and dad's generation, I miss that. Can hmm. we can we kindle that? You bet we can. Boomers, baby boomers, bring stories and coaching from decades of service. Xers bring a contrarian point of view. We need to look at both the upside and the downside before we launch that new project. Yes, we do. Yeah. Millennials, oh my gosh, confidence and energy and hope. You know, they're going to change the world by noon on Friday. You know that. But we need that. That's why Jesus picked 12 young men, I think. Yeah. And that Gen Z, I don't know if listeners know this, but Gen Z has a predisposition for entrepreneurism or entrepreneurship. Sure. Seven out of 10 high school students in America anyway 
want to be an entrepreneur. Wow. Well, how can we create a ministry that's got this, you know, gig economy going on where they're able to start projects and feel like they're owning it, not just joining something, but but starting something. Uh, they bring a hacker mindset. Hmm. And sometimes we only associate the word hacker with technology. They certainly are that. They're very at home with smart technology. But um, I think they're hackers in almost everything they do, meaning they know how to get behind something, hmm. find out how it works, and make it work for them. Hmm. Well, couldn't you use someone like that in your ministry? Absolutely we could, you know? So I think what I'm saying is if it's a coin, don't look at the tails. Look at the heads. Hmm. See what each of these generations bring and then say, I want to harness the strength of every generation on this team. Think what might happen if we harness the 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings. You get the point. So yeah. that's what I'm after. For sure. Um, you mentioned the, this summer the idea of FOMO and FUMO, the fear yeah. of missing out and fear of messing up. That I yeah. talk to patients this summer, that was one of the like highlights of uh, of our conversations in the room. Would you would you take a is that, can I ask you a question? Would you share about yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. So, listeners, um, we we do lots of focus groups and we interface with with our people all the time. So, we're finding, particularly among the two younger generations, more so than the others. But I do think it's everybody. FOMO is fear of missing out, right? We've all heard that term. I don't want to miss anything because I'm on Instagram and I'm seeing all the best vacations ever that I miss, <laughs> you know, but, but FOMU is something I'm hearing now among high school students. It's fear of messing up. Hmm. So there is a disproportionate amount of anxiety about making mistakes or dropping the ball or failing. Hmm. And now I will admit nobody likes to fail, but, but it's ridiculous. So I began to double click on why would there be this high level of fear of failure? Well, Aaron, think about the world we're living in now. Um, in fact, let me just tell a story. When I was in school, if I was in the lunchroom dining hall, you know, and I got my tray yeah. and I dropped my tray, the two tables closest to me will look over, see what happened and clap, patronizing me for this idiotic thing <laughs> I just did. And then it's over, right? Yeah. Yeah. Today, somebody captures it on their iPhone, posts it on YouTube. I'm That's now an true. idiot forever. Yeah. So they're very afraid of, I'll be captured and posted. Uh, this will not go away. Hmm. And plus, young people, they know everything gets on the transcript, or at least it feels like it all gets on the transcript. So I just, I won't even try if I can't succeed. Hmm. And you and I would say, oh, no, 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 sweetheart, you got to try. And yeah. you're going to make some mistakes. Trust me, I made a gazillion of them in my 20s. But that's where I got to, that's how I got today to where I am. That's the message we've got to dispense of with this emerging generation, or they just may not even try. I got two more questions for you. Okay. You mentioned John Maxwell, um, and you shared that that he, you mentioned John Maxwell earlier. John Maxwell has said, before managers treat everyone the same and leaders yeah. treat everyone differently. Um, can you share about this, this idea of how we're treating managers and leaders and how we treat people? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think John's statement there was a little bit like we talked about before with chess and checkers. Yeah. So when I play checkers, I'm basically managing people. And I've got one way to do it because, you know, this is who I am. This okay. is my personality. I'm okay. just hard and crusty, you know. Yeah. Uh, but but here's what I would say. I think it's better to do what we said earlier. I read them before I lead them. Okay. So I know right now in this situation, what they really need is this, not that. 
Hmm. So I believe great leaders are both responsive and demanding. That's what I believe. Responsive and demanding. In fact, may I step back into scripture for just a minute? Jesus brilliantly was responsive and demanding. Think about the day that that woman who was caught in adultery was brought before him. Those religious leaders had rocks in their hands, and they were ready to do away with her. Hmm. And of course, Jesus says, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And we all love how the story ends. They drop their rocks and walk away because they know they've sinned. Here's what he said next that we miss. He looks at the woman and he says, where are your accusers? And she says, well, they've gone. I love what he says next. Neither do I condemn you. That's responsive. Hmm. Go and sin no more. That's demanding. <laughs> I, I don't know how to get more demanding. So it's, it's the velvet brick. There's another habitude. Velvet on the outside, lots of grace. Brick on the inside, lots of truth. Hmm. And great leaders are plain chestnut checkers. They're leading differently based on what the moment requires. If you're a parent, isn't this what true about parenting? Yeah. In the morning, they might need responsiveness. By three o'clock, they need demandingness from me. Am I right about this? <laughs> So it's high expectation, high belief. And I think we've got to recapture what Jesus, he was the greatest leader that ever walked the earth, still is the greatest leader. But I'm just thinking we need to not just love him as a savior. We need to follow him as a leader and imitate his ways. I hope that was a fair answer without spiritualizing everything. Excellent. Excellent. One last question for you. People are listening into this podcast and um, they're wondering, hey, I would love, I understand this. I'd like to put into action. Can you maybe give um, some activities that could help close yeah. this generation gap or make some activities that teams could do together to begin to tackle this? Yeah. Well, there's a few, and none of them are really rocket science, and all of them are free. So this is good news. <laughs> that is good. So today, our team is going to have some team time, and we're going to play a game called Mind the Gap. We're actually going to ask, questions of each generation to the other generation like boomers are going to be asked what's the term what's the term no cap mean or whatever you know that sort of thing in fact remember playing that game yeah we did yeah well it's hilarious because we don't know their world and they don't know about earth wind and fire or whatever you know something (laughs) so it just turns out to be a fun fun uh game but it's just mixing up the whole point is oh my gosh can we laugh at ourselves and can we learn from each other another one that i find interesting is Take a project that you're working on, okay, a project, a task, maybe it's a new ministry you're launching, and get input from each of the three or four or five generations that are part of the team. Hmm. So when I launch New Kind of Diversity, I ask my millennials, how would you market this to your demographic? Boomers, how about you? Xers, how about you? And I got slightly different ideas Hmm. from each generation. So Hmm. there you go. Earlier, Aaron, I talked about reverse mentoring. If nothing else, I would love listeners to consider putting a 20-something with a 40-something or 50-something or whatever you got, but oldest and youngest, match them up and say, just go get coffee or just go get lunch or whatever, Mm. and swap stories. And then each of you wear the mentor hat and each of you wear the mentee hat Mm. and find out if you're seeing timeless insights and timely intuition adding value to each other. Those would be some that I think would be easy to do right away. Great work. Great work. How can people, how can people follow you? We've talked about habitudes. We've talked about your book. Um, Where can they get access to this information and buy your book and get the habitudes. And then I'm going to ask you to pray for us. 
Oh, you bet. Well, thanks for asking, Aaron. Well, if, if you're interested in the book, if this sounds fun, you can go to newdiversitybook.com. Okay, yeah. newdiversitybook.com. And um, I think there's Amazon prices there, which is good news, but there's a bunch of free stuff. In fact, there is a there's a um generational assessment you can yes, take for free. True. Very so cool. you can answer 41 questions and your report will say, well, you're pretty good with Xers, but not so good with Gen Z, you know, or something yeah. like that. So that might be a fun test, newdiversitybook.com. But then growingleaders.com and timelmore.com are both sites that you can get either Habitudes or other resources that you might be interested in. I'd be honored if you wanted to follow. Um, thank you for the work that you all do that are listening. I am so grateful. I was a pastor at one time and now I'm not, but I love people in the work of the Great Commission. Don't stop what you're doing. And uh, Aaron, yes, I'd love to pray. If you don't mind, I'd yes. love to pray for people uh, listening. Good. Heavenly Father, um, well, you just heard me, Lord. I'm so grateful, and you are too, for the work these people, these people have chosen to do. They have made sacrifices in many ways to do the bidding that you have given them. I'm asking for renewed strength. Help them to wait on the Lord so they will renew their strength. Uh, I'm asking for an unusual wisdom and insight today. Uh, help them see that was not my thought. That was the Spirit of God that just gave me that thought in order to connect with this person. Uh, give them favor with outsiders, not just team members. And then, Father, I pray that you would um, give these listeners now uh, a long-term vision that, that goes beyond them. Help them to find Joshua's underneath them or Jessica's underneath them as Moses figures who will pour into the emerging generation and find the work goes not only on, but gets better because they were investing in the future. I put these people in your hands, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. 